Hebrews 12, 3 and 4, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. We're to consider Jesus, y'all, in everything. We're to consider the Lord, and that simply means to estimate the Lord, to contemplate on the Lord. We're to consider Christ in everything, and I would say especially when it comes to our personal walk with the Lord, our day-to-day living in 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 this sinful world as believers, living, uh, striving against sin, trying to overcome sin sin and temptation and the things that the devil would throw at us and the things that our own flesh is enticed to do. We need to consider Jesus or estimate Him or contemplate on Him and all these things. And I want to say that, that... God, man's greatest uh, enemy is death. And the sting of death, the Bible says, is sin. What makes death, death, what makes death painful for people and agony and pain and so forth is sin. Sin, the Bible says, is the sting of death. That's the pain to it. That's the, the kicker. That's the poison to it. But we have been forgiven of our sins. We've been washed in the blood of Jesus and made new in the Lord. That's why the Bible says, O death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is thy victory? And it says the sting of of death is sin. And God has given us as His people, every one of us, the newest believer, the youngest child that just got saved, or the oldest saint that's been saved and walking with the Lord for years and years, God has given us all a victory, His victory over sin. We're going to talk about this today. We're talking about sin. And we're talking about walking in the victory of Christ over sin. That's going to be the message today. So you can, if you're taking notes, that's what we're talking about. By the blood of Jesus Christ, we have this victory. It's not a partial victory over sin. We talked a little bit in Sunday school that the Lord doesn't give us a little booster shot and, and help us get over the hump kind of thing. And this, this will help you out on your way. A little wind in our sails kind of thing to help us out. No, He's given us a victory over sin. It's not a partial victory but a complete victory. It's in Him. It's not a semi-victory. It's a complete victory. And it's complete in the Lord. And He said it's finished in His Word. And Jesus said, and that if you know the truth, the truth will make you free. And He goes, if the Son therefore had made you free, and He's speaking specifically in the context of sin, slavery to sin or not, if the Son therefore had made you free, you shall be free indeed. It's not a partial victory. He's not helping us, although He is helping us. He's not simply helping us a little bit to do a little better against temptation and sin in our lives. He's given us a victory over sin in our lives. And there's a Scripture that says, Now thanks be unto God, 2 Corinthians 2.14, which always causes us to triumph. Does He say sometimes? He says, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. The victory is only in Christ. Even as a believer, if I stray off and get off on my own, I'm going to say, I'm going to, run, I'm going to do things my own way for a little while. That's not the victory. I'm still his child, but I'm not going to be walking in victory when I'm trying to do it my own way. It says, and make manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. But he always causes us to triumph in Christ. And all this victory is in Christ. God wills for us as His children. He wills for every man to be saved, okay? But He wills for everyone that is saved, His child, to walk in this victory. It's honoring to God. It pleases God. It shows what He can do in the life of a sinner. God took Saul of Tarsus and made him Paul the Apostle. 
And he said, he's, Paul even says at the end of his life, God showed what He can do in a sinner. He kind of set me up to, to show what God can do in redeeming a sinner. Sinner, okay? He's, we're sinners saved by His grace. And we're not to continue in that sin, but to walk in the victory that He's won for us. He wants us to walk in it daily. I'm talking about blood-bought saints of God. Not a churchgoer, but a Christian. Someone that's born again. He wants us to walk daily in this victory, His victory, uh, right here in the midst of a sinful world. Right here in the midst of a world that's contrary to us, where we're strangers and pilgrims. Right here in the midst of a world that's not our friend. And it's opposed to us, and it's opposed to Christ, and our victory that we have in Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And some might think it's not possible. Like it's just too uh, you know, pie in the sky. It's like a dream to really walk in victory over sin. And yet, uh, that's exactly what He expects us to do. And He's called us to do. He wants us to walk in victory over sin and the temptation. Okay, Not just to be forgiven of it, which we are, but to walk in a manner over sin. Over it. We're tread under our feet, so to speak. And we're walking on top of it. And uh, He's given us this freedom from sin's tyranny and sin's hold upon our life. Every one of us in here. It doesn't mean we're all demon-possessed. It doesn't mean we're all drug addicts. It doesn't mean we're all prostitutes or, or terrorists or whatever. And every one of us was hell-bound and lost and in our sin. And He has given us this victory over that. It's complete in Christ. And it's by His authority that we can live this godly life. There's power in the name of Jesus. We sing those songs. There's power in the blood. There's power in the name of Jesus. What does that mean that there's power? Well, we know the demons are subject in His name, right? When spoken by a word of faith through a believer's life, they're subject to that. We have victory and authority in the Lord Jesus Christ over sin. He wants us to walk in that power. And there's no reason for a true believer, no biblical reason, no actual reason for a true believer to now walk entangled in sin. Just picture somebody all tangled up, they're tripping and stumbling everywhere they go, just falling into this and falling into that. Now, a lost person is just in their sin. They're just in it. They're in their sin. They still have that, you know, they don't have the divine nature of Christ in them. They've not been forgiven. They've not been new in Christ. They're just in their sin. But a lost person who's entangled up and ensnared and tripping up. And that's why it talks about in the, the verses right before this in Hebrews, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. That means entangle us. And the per- picture, if you read in concordance, is the picture of an athlete taken off on a race or to run and they're in competition and somebody has set little traps for them. And, you know, there's a rope stretched across the road about a foot off the ground. Or, you know what I mean? There's a pit they fall in. There's something entangling them. That's what sin can do in the life of a believer. But it, there's no reason for a believer to live that way. I'm not acting or before you today as though I'm perfected from this. I'm preaching God's Word to us that this is a reality that there's no reason for a believer to live. I'm talking about a lifestyle. A lifestyle, Okay entangled and ensnared by sin and overcome by it. And there are times in our life we've known believers that are. Maybe we have been. Maybe you are today as a believer. There's freedom in Jesus. He loves you. And the the victory that He won on the cross is enough. It is more than sufficient. And so this is His will for, for everyone that He has saved by His Spirit. And He has graciously provided this deliverance from sin. Okay, so it's not only that we have been forgiven. 
We just took communion. We take about we talk about forgiveness of sin. That God is uh, plenteous in mercy and ready to forgive. Says in Psalm eighty six five. That are good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy, the Bible says. It's not only that we're forgiven of our sins, it's not only that we've been cleansed from our sin and washed in the blood of Jesus. We have been. But we've also been delivered from the power of sin. And I think a lot of times we don't talk about that. We just say, I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven. And we need to rejoice in that. But we also need to know, I'm delivered, I'm delivered, I'm delivered. In other words, I'm empowered by the Lord to walk in victory over this sin. And there's no reason for a believer to still live like we're not a believer. The life I had before, you know, there's old song we sing in the prison all the time, the way I used to walk, I don't walk no more. I always say the grammar's not that great, but it's a good song. You know, uh, the way I used to talk, I don't talk no more since the Lord laid His hand on me. There's been a change in this life of mine since the Lord laid His hand on me. Amen? And so, there's no reason for a believer to live that way. And the Bible says, what shall we say? Shall, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? You know, we boast so much in grace. But do we also boast so much and rely on, on the Lord's strength to walk in victory over sin? I thank God for grace. We never run out of it. We never uh, get beyond it. We never get to a point where we're not in need of it. And if we're sin abounded, grace did much more abound. I thank the Lord for His abundant grace. Amen? But even Paul says, what should we say? Should we continue to sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How are we that are dead to sin to live any longer therein? Are you dead to sin? That goes with the new birth. Are you dead to sin? Are you born of His Spirit? And uh, we're to walk in that victory. And so when we walk and we live habitually in His victory over sin, it honors Him. It glorifies Him. And I can promise you it's best for us. Amen? How many of you like to be entangled with sin? How many of you like to, to keep falling into sin? You look at it as a personal defeat, don't you? You look at it as a personal disappointment. You're disgusted with yourself. You know it's not honoring to God. You're, you're mad at yourself. For you did it for the 10,000th time. And there's no blessings that come from sin. There's forgiveness and mercy. But, but we're, we're disappointed. And we, we're, it doesn't honor the Lord, most of all. And it glorifies God when we walk in His strength. It glorifies God when He takes the weakest. You know, like He says, He's chosen the foolish things to confound the wise, the weak and the base things to bring to nothing the things that are worldly and mighty and strong. That's what He's chosen. He's chosen a weak little person like me. And He gives me this great strength to walk in victory in the midst of a harsh, cruel, sinful world with all kinds of allurements and attractions to sin and Satan's doing his best and my own flesh is wanting to do this and that and yet we're walking in victory over sin. That honors God. That pleases Him. I just want to read a scripture uh, from 2 John verse 4 if you're taking notes. I, I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received the commandment of the Father. In other words, John was saying, I was happy to hear that your children, I don't know literally their children or Christian children, but they were walking in the truth. Well, walking in truth would be walking in victory over sin as well, amen? Not only doctrinally being right, but in my lifestyle and my walk being right. And he rejoiced, he says, in that. And so the power to live a separated life unto God, the power to live in victory over sin, it comes from the Lord. He doesn't tell uh, Reynolds, go figure it out. He, you know, I've saved you now. Isn't that enough? You go do the rest. He, he, he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. 
Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. I quote that scripture all the time because we need it all the time. It's not my own strength. It's the Lord's strength. The Bible says, the Bible says there had no temptation taken you, but such as common a man. But God is faithful. Who's faithful? We're faithful? No, God is faithful. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So it's not, people say, well, it's not possible to really live that way. Well, God's Word says it is. God's Word says it is possible. Uh, You'll hear people say this sometimes, and maybe I've been guilty of it myself in the church world. Well, maybe they continue to, to, uh, to live in sin after they're saved or to, to continue to fall into a certain sin. And they say, well, this is just, um, you know, it's almost like they think it's the cross they have to bear. This is just, I really just struggle with this. And I sometimes wonder, you know, or I really wrestle with this sin. And I sometimes wonder, and only the Lord knows the hearts perfectly. But do we really wrestle against sin or do we just give in? Because wrestling to me gives the picture of I'm in the fight. I'm, I'm, I'm doing my part over here and I'm wrestling against sin. Well, I just really wrestle with this sin. I think a lot of people don't wrestle with sin. I think a lot of people give in to sin. And there's not really much of a fight they put up at all. And they just say, this is what I wrestle with. you know. But we're not really wrestling. And it, let me tell you this, if we do wrestle in His might, we'll always be victorious. It has to be wrestling in His power and in His might. When we fail to walk in this victory over sin, and we do at times. We don't have to, but we do at times. Okay, um, We fail to resist the temptation when it comes. We fail to flee when God gave us a way of escape. Have you ever failed to flee when God gave you a way of escape and you didn't flee? And we fall into the sin. We can't say, oh, well, the temptation was just too great. No, it wasn't. Did you see that area, that escape hatch I gave you over here and you didn't take it? You know, sometimes escape hatch is getting up and walking out. You're a bunch of friends. And you're, the conversation is starting to turn this way. I don't care if they're believers or not. The conversation starts turning this way. The language starts getting a little this. The jokes start getting a little this way and off. And it's not honoring to God. And you know it. And God's kind enough to show you, hey, it's getting this way. He's made a way of escape. We just might not want to be embarrassed to, to get up and leave. But He made a way of escape, right? It is possible to walk in this victory that He's given us. And so, uh, even when we do sin, y'all, and I'm very thankful for this, okay? Praise God. But even when we do sin, we fail to walk in this victory, there's a provision for that. There's a provision for believers. We talked about it in Sunday school. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Speaking of Christians, and to forgive us, uh, cleanse us from all unrighteousness and forgive us. And then the Bible also says, my little children, John says, these things have I written unto you that you sin not. Okay? That's the commandment to you and to me. This is what I'm writing unto you that you sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Both are equally true. I'm commanded not to sin. If I do sin, which I shouldn't, but I do sometimes, I shouldn't do it, and I do sin, there's a provision for that. And I have an advocate. And I'm very thankful for that. But walking in sin, y'all, and falling into temptation, I'm talking about as a pattern, should never be the pattern of the believer's life. Would you agree with that? It's very clear in the Scripture. This seems like no-brainer stuff, but uh, it's not the typical... Sin is not the habitation of the believer. It's not our dwelling place. Christ is our dwelling place. And in Him, there's no darkness at all. 
and He's light, and we're dwelling in Him, right? Abiding in Christ. The, the habitual uh, dwelling place of a Christian is not sin. It's not a life of sin. It's not a pattern of sin. We do sin at times. We ask God to forgive us and we mean it. And we turn and we ask for His strength to not do it again. And we may do it again. We ask we do this, repeat the same process and it's sincere every time. It's not a joke. It's sincere every time we do it. But that is not the pattern of a believer's life. Now I want to tell you that I'm not preaching... Uh, Sinless perfection. And, and we've heard that term before. That's a, that's a belief within uh, Christian circles that once a person is truly saved, they never sin again. Christian perfection. That we're perfected by in that, that moment of salvation. And the Bible does talk about we're perfected and, and it's you know sanctified and so forth. But, but we have to rightly divide the Word and understand these teachings from the Scriptures. And so I'm not preaching that, but I am preaching that there is a life that God's called us to live in holiness that's very clear. And again, it's not some uh, pipe dream kind of thing that we could never live that way. 1 John 2, 6, He that saith he abideth in him. Do you say that you abide in Christ? Do you say that you're a believer? I do. He that saith I abide in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. You know what he's saying here? It's the first scripture we read. Consider Jesus. You better estimate Jesus. Is my walk like his walk? Well, no, he's the Lord, and I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And we kind of, well, that's true, but we kind of put down on that as though it's not much. But the Bible calls it so great salvation. He has done a lot in our lives, he has made us a partaker of his divine nature, he has given us the gift of the Holy Ghost. Who's holy, and so He has called us to this life of holiness. And if we say we know Him, we ought to walk like He walks. And and y'all, I think what happens sometimes again, I'm not preaching sinless perfection. I am preaching. Let's step up to the plate and live in a manner that God's called us to live. When we fail, there's a provision for that. And I'm not heaping condemnation on you, and you're not heaping it on me. We can bear one another with one another and our burdens in and so forth. I understand that. I'm not expecting, snap my fingers and I'm going to be this and you're going to be that. I am saying, let's step up to the plate and follow after God. Okay, what does it say in Hebrews uh, later in this chapter? If you're still in Hebrews uh, 12, look at verse 14. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. You know what the word follow means there? You might get the picture of, you know, you're just walking, you're going on a 10 mile hike and you're kind of dragging behind and just kind of staring around and just following kind of carelessly behind. No big deal. Nobody's in a rush. Uh, but that's not what this word means. The word follow means, means to pursue after, to seek after, like you're laying hold and going after. Follow after peace with all men and holiness. That's got to be a personal uh, working of God in our lives. And so the Bible says, but let us go on to perfection. Hebrews 6.1, let us go on to perfection. It simply means there a maturity or a completeness or a fullness. Not necessarily sinlessness on our part. It does mean a completion to what God's called us to. A fullness of the life He's called us to. I believe that sometimes, and sadly to say, that as true believers, that we can get, uh, we live at a lower level, it's the best way I can put it, of holiness or godliness than God's called us to. Whatever the reason, you know, we, God wants us to be here and we're here. 
And we're okay with that. And I don't, we should not be okay with that. We've accepted certain sinful behaviors in our life and we've excused them and say, well, nobody's perfect. Or, well, you know, we just, God's not finished with me yet. Well, all of that is true. But is it also true? Are you following after holiness? Are you striving after the Lord? Do you, do you really wrestle with your sin? Do you really bring it before God in prayer? Do you pray and fast sometimes that God would strengthen you in this area? Do you do a study in the Word? Do you pray to be filled with the Holy Ghost? Are we doing what we can do and what God's availed to us to be that victory over sin and to walk in it by faith? Are we doing that? We get used to a certain level of sin or a certain amount of sin in our lives. I'm not saying you do. I'm saying one can. Okay? And we're okay with it and, and we think it's normal. And I think a lot of that comes when we compare ourselves by ourselves. We look around the, other, the rest of the church world and say, I'm doing better than 90% the Christians I know, therefore I must be okay. But there's sin in your life. There's uh, things that you're allowing in your life and you've accepted as being okay and normal when God says it's not. This is where we get the answer from. It's not from the other believers around us. And I thank God for other believers around me that helped me. But that's not my standard. Jesus is my standard. And so we can't be okay with it. We can't be okay with it. We're to pursue after God. We're to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Paul said, I, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you walk worthy of the vocation or the calling wherewith you are called. So he's beseeching them. That word means like I'm imploring you. I'm begging you, basically. You walk worthy. He's not telling them how to be saved. He's telling them how to walk. Walk worthy of the calling wherewith you're called. I'm going to read another scripture. I love this. For Colossians 1.10. That you might walk, again, he's talking to Christians. You might walk worthy. That's our walk, our lifestyle of the Lord unto all pleasing. Well, do I have to measure up before I'm saved? No, we come to Christ as we are. And we're saved. But now that I am saved, you're my child now. I've empowered you now. This is what I've called you to do. This is not the life you were called to before. It's not the way you walked before. This is different over here. You're part of my kingdom. You're part of my family. It's wonderful. Okay? And you didn't have any real fruit in that dead works that you were in before and that sin. There's going to be fruit of the Spirit over here. It's going to be wonderful. But he says that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Pleasing Him. Being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. None of those things save us. But that is the fruit of a saved life, right? None of those things. Walking worthy of the Lord couldn't do it as a lost man anyway. Uh, none of these things are saving works. We're saved by grace through faith. But there are works that come out of a saved life and a pursuit that comes out of a saved life. And so it's not for you and I to look at this and say, man, we would probably never say it with our, with our mouths, but this is some uh, heavy burden that's being put on my life. This preacher or even the Bible or God is trying to put this heavy burden on my life now. It's just grace, grace, grace. And this is some heavy, unwanted burden that's put upon my life. No, it's, it's the call of God that He's called us to. Somebody might say, that I'm glad I'm saved, but man, this living for God is really horrible. I hate it. I hate trying to live for God. I hate trying to keep His commandments. I hate trying to obey Him and so forth. Well, or you have to wonder if a person that would say that is really born again. But also... Uh, it's not. It's not an undue burden. And people think, oh, you try that and you fail and then you feel condemned and then and they blah, 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 on and on. 
We need to be strengthened by the Lord. We need to love God more than our sin. Think about it. What do you love the most? The Lord or your sin that you keep falling into? I say the same for myself. And so we need to love the Lord. The first and greatest commandment. And people think, oh, when they start hearing preaching like that, they want to get away from that and they want to go to some other church. It doesn't make them feel, feel that way. And, and yet it's God's Word because I pick up the Bible and read it. I'd have to tear a lot of the Bible out to get away from that. A whole lot of the Bible. A whole lot of the New Testament. A whole lot of the New Testament for Christians. For believers. There's a lot of things that the Lord has given us to, uh, things that He's given us to walk in His ways. And people think, oh, it's just a bunch of rigid rules and it's uh, punctuated by these big moments of failure. You're just going to be condemned and and so forth. But But it's not. It's life in the Christ. It's life in the Spirit. Yes, I do fail. And I, for, and I go to the Lord for forgiveness and, and He picks me up. He cleans me off. And He encourages me and He helps me and He puts me back on my way, but it's still the way. Amen? Not put me on some other way. Put me back on that way. And He wants me to walk in it. And that's what we're called to. The Bible says if we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Well, that's two different things. If. If we live in the Spirit, I believe that's speaking about a believer, a Christian. Life in the Spirit. Okay, now let us walk. In the spirit, that has to do with our conduct, our behavior, our day-to-day activities and mindset, and what we do and what we don't do, and what we refrain from, and what we partake in. Let us, if we live in the spirit, let's walk in the spirit. That's what he's telling us to do. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. It's only a bunch of rules and regulations if you make it that. It's not for me. Me reading the New Testament scripture and saying, you know what, Randy, you come way short of that. Rejoice evermore? Well, I don't do that. Rejoice in, you know, in everything rejoice. Randy, you come way short of that. That's not rules and regulation and bondage to me. That's an opportunity for me to go to God and have Him do that in my life by His grace and mercy. And I have, can name a myriad of examples of the same thing. It's not rules unless you make it that. Amen. It's not a Pharisee legalistic life unless you make it that. It's understanding what grace is and walk in it, but it's also understanding what holiness is and the life that He's called me to do. And not saying that's just for those, those religious people. That holiness is just for the missionaries. That holiness is just for pastors or the people in seminary or whatever. No, the holiness is what we're all called to. As He which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of what? Conversation. That means our lifestyle, our conduct. That means in all of it. The music we listen to, what we said before our eyes, the jokes we listen to, the conversations we have, where we let our mind drift off to, and also the things obedient to the Lord and praying and rejoicing and being thankful and being kind, kindly affectioned one to another. All it's just Christ's life in us. You think Christ's life in you is a bondage or a burden? It's a liberty. The devil wants to tell you, even believers, you try to live that way, oh, you're just going to feel condemned all the time. It's going to be miserable. Baloney. You're going to feel, thank you, Jesus. You're going to say, thank you, God, for what you're doing in my life. This is amazing. I know what a good, no good sinner I am without you. And he'll remind us that. And so he reminds us that. We don't feel better than anybody else. And we don't feel better than Christians who are not where we are, caught up to us yet. Because I'm not caught up to a lot of others. I'm sure not caught up to Jesus. Amen? Amen. And so I don't have any pride about that, but it's not bondage to me. Amen. It's a joy. and all not, We ought to Amen. remind ourselves of that. It's not a bondage. 
what, what Jesus did in Christ has made us free from the law of sin and death. We're free from that. So let's walk as free people, right? Walk as a free per- person. Um, he brought me out of sin, y'all. And, and, and I was in bondage to it. I always think about this and, I, and this little phrase. I don't know if the Lord showed me one time, but He loved me while I was in my sin, but He didn't lead me in my sin. He loved me in my sin. He loves me still, even when I sin. He loves a sinner still in their sin. When He comes into a life, He doesn't leave us in our sin. So if I'm saved now and still walking in a lot of sin or a pattern or a lifestyle of sin, that's not where the Lord left me. And just say grace, grace, grace all the time. He didn't leave me in that life. He brought me out. He delivered me. And so um, He didn't save me and cleanse me and fill me with the Holy Ghost so I continue to live like I did before. What would be the purpose of that? And every now and then, throw the word grace up there and tell people what God can do in a life. I'd rather look at Paul's life and say, look at what God did in a life. Taking it from Saul of Tarsus to Paul. You know what I mean? That's what the Lord sets up for His example. And I just want to move on to this a little bit. We understand that salvation happens in a moment. Sanctification and that godly walk and being perfected in Christ, being brought to a place of full maturity, that happens over the entire life of the believer. Whenever you get saved, from the day you're saved, the day you and I are raptured or we die. And at the rapture, it'll be complete. That's when it'll stop. So you had not stopped yet. Amen? And I haven't stopped yet being sanctified. But I'm as saved as I'll ever be. Justified as I'll ever be. Righteous as I'll ever be in the sense of robed in the righteousness of Christ. My personal walk has a long way to go. The Lord's working in me. He's patient with me. Patient with all of us. But He is working and I need to let Him do it. Amen? I need to yield to that. It's God who works in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And so... When we see Him, the Bible says we'll be like Him. And the Bible says that uh, uh, we're going to receive a new glorified body that's going to be like His body. The dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Amen? That's the final click. That's the final transformation from growing in Christ and kind of doing like this, right? A little pie charts. Here's my Christian life. Saved. I kind of went down for a little while at LSU and then you know, all over the place. But the whole steady trend from salvation to glory is going to be upward. And that final change is going to take place at the rapture when you and I receive a new body. And there will be no more uh, sin and no more temptation to sin because we're going to totally be transformed with this new nature. It's going to be wonderful. And I'm going to read just a couple more Scriptures, y'all. I'm going to read this from first. We did our study in First Peter. We just finished it. But at the beginning of that chapter, 114, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. You see that there's a difference? The same man, he's speaking to Christians. Now he says, live as obedient children. Okay, not fashioning yourself according to your former lust that you had in your ignorance. But people just want to throw, oh, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. No, there's more than just forgiven. We are forgiven and we're not perfect, but we are being perfected. There's a real work that's taking place in our lives. There is a victory that I have over that sin and temptation that yesterday I didn't have. And there's some I still fall into and he's, and he's strengthening me in those areas. You understand what I'm saying? We can't just say, 
we're only forgiven. We are forgiven. We're also delivered from the power and the stronghold of sin. I have no reason. I don't preach sinless perfection like we talked about. But, but there's no reason for you and I to ever sin again. The provision has been made. And when we do sin, it's either my fault or God's fault. It's not going to be God's fault. The victory He gave me is complete. When I sin, it's because I sinned. In that moment, I wasn't walking in the Spirit. I chose to indulge my flesh or whatever it was, and I did. And so I can never blame the Lord on that. And I want to close, um, not that we're closing this second, but the last passage that I really want to spend time in is Psalm 18. So if y'all would turn with me. Psalm 18. We're talking about, just so you know, walking in the victory day by day as a pattern, Christ's victory that He won over sin. And He has given to us. Amen? So I want us to look at this. Psalm 18, I want to read verse 32 and then skip down to verse 36. Psalm 18, 32. It is God, David said, that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. I know he's Old Testament, but still, what he's saying is true. God gives me the strength and God makes my way perfect. That's still today for us as believers. Skip down to verse 36. Thou hast enlarged my steps under me that my feet did not slip. Who did it? God did it. God, You made me... I'm I'm weak and pathetic, but somehow You made me strong and and able to walk in victory. You made my feet like Hans' feet. And I climbed up this mountain. I didn't slip, but I would have slipped if You hadn't have made my feet like Hans' feet to go up this cliff, this dangerous place, this treacherous place that a man couldn't normally walk on. Well, same, let's make it spiritual. You've made me. You've girded me with strength. And... And he says, You've enlarged my steps under me, that my feet uh, did not slip. I have pursued my enemies and overtaken them, neither did I turn again till they were consumed. I have wounded them that they were not able to rise. They are fallen under my feet. For thou hast girded me with strength unto the battle. Thou hast subdued under me those that rose up against me. Thou, did, thou hast also given me the necks of mine enemies that I might destroy them that hate me. I'm going to stop reading there for just a second. David's enemies were people like Goliath. Now, I don't think there's any question that overall he's talking about physical enemies right here. He had spiritual battles as well. I know he did. But he's speaking about physical battles. He was a man of war. He fought Philistines that had bows and arrows and chariots and swords and armies that came against him physically. And he's talking here about how God delivered him. God strengthened him. God taught him how to fight. God gave him the necks of his enemies and so forth. The Lord did that. And so, um, I want to compare it. Again, I believe he's talking about physical enemies. You and I are not typically fighting Philistines, okay? Um, But we are fighting uh, our enemy sin and the temptations to sin and the strongholds of sin spiritual struggles as Christians that we fight in this present sinful world. Y'all know we live in a hostile territory. And I'm thankful that when we get to heaven, there's a rest that remains for the people of God. And it's going to be some kind of rest. It's going to be a Sabbath day rest forever. And you're going to be able to exhale. (laughs) Seriously, we're not going to fight. Oh, if I click on the TV, is this image going to come up? Driving down the road looking at a billboard. You're going to hear this when you're walking out to LSU on the campus. These conversations going on by you, or that you know what I mean. It's not going to be like that, but it is like that now. We're more than sufficient. Christ's strength in us is 
in, in us is more than sufficient for it. But it's going to be wonderful to have that rest. Amen? But we're fighting in this present world. We're in hostile territory. And we're fighting against temptations. We have temptations to what? To doubt God. We have temptations, uh, which is sin, to worry, to disobey the Lord, to quit praying, to cut down on our prayer time, cut down on our Bible reading time because we're so busy. Temptations in our lives as Christians to compromise the Lord and His Word, to give in just a little bit to the pull of the world, even with our doctrine. Y'all at Cornerstone are so rigid, you know, and there's a there's might be a pull. I haven't really felt it, but there might be a pull to give in a little bit, bend a little here, ease off a little there. And yet it's not it's not for us. We're we're in a, we're fighting uh, spiritual battles that we're going through. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rules of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There's a wrestling going on. There's no doubt about it. We'd be lying if we said that there wasn't. The Bible tells us that there is. You're in a battle. Ignoring it doesn't make it go away. We're in a battle like David was. He couldn't say, oh, I'm going to pretend like these Philistines aren't here. You know, He had to fight them. He had to go out in the Lord's strength and fight them. And the Bible says uh, the weapons of our warfare also are not carnal, but they're mighty through God, even to the pulling down of strongholds. That's what the Lord has given us in His Son. So I want to look, what can we glean from David's life? And this is how we're going to close this morning. David's life, fighting against his physical battles. Philistines we're using for an example. What can we learn from that? Well, first of all, I believe we can learn from his mindset that he, he fully knew it was the Lord that he had to be dependent upon. I'll just read this, right? When he was facing Goliath. You don't have to turn there, but it's 1 Samuel 17, 47. Facing Goliath. Hadn't killed him yet. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. One little sentence there, but a lot is spoken there. I want everybody to know that the Lord doesn't save with the sword and spear. The battle is the Lord's. The whole baby is His. Okay? Your whole wrestle and striving against sin and temptations that come against your life, it's the Lord's. It's the Lord's. You need to rely upon Him. And you and I need to trust Him for that. It's the Lord's. And He will deliver you. He's said He's going to deliver us. And so, David had, besides, we need to be of the same mindset when we're fighting against our spiritual battles and struggles and temptations to sin, temptations to fear, temptations to compromise with the world. That no, the battle belongs to the Lord. I need to turn to Him. And not only does it belong to the Lord, there needs to be that assurance and confidence that He's got it. I can't give it to halfway give it to God and say, I don't know if He can really handle it. You know, we need to give it to God, turn it over to the Lord, and trust and be of that assurance. And that's what he said in the psalm that we read, verse 32. It's God that girds me with strength and makes my way perfect. The Lord's doing it. And one of the other things that I gleaned from this. David's fight against the Philistines, how that can help me in my walk in this world, is that, and I'm just, this is my last point, David sought to make no alliance with his enemies. Now I'm just going to let this sink in for a second because the last real thought we're going to talk about today. He did not seek to make any bargains or deals with Goliath. He killed him. 
Okay? I know it sounds plain and simple, but it's true. And David's enemies were God's enemies. And God's enemies were David's enemies. David said to his brothers, when he, was, when he heard Goliath out there talking, he said, is there not a cause? Who is this that's blaspheming God? Who is this that's blaspheming God? Why does he think he can get away with that? It made him mad. He's like, there's a cause. I don't care if I'm puny. God gave me the strength to kill a bear and a lion. God's going to do it anyway. Somebody stand up and shut up this uncircumcised Philistine. And God has left us here, y'all, to shut it up. I mean, be salt, be light where we are and live for God. And don't give in and don't compromise and don't bumble and stumble around and, and on top of your failure throw grace as the excuse. I thank God for grace. Let's live for God. Somebody stand up and live for Him. You know what I mean? Guess what? You might have an enemy come against you. You will have an enemy come against you. It might be strong and mighty. It's just a greater opportunity for God to show His glory. We don't think about it, David's brothers. I forget their names. But you remember David, don't you? And he became king of God's people. And God made an eternal covenant with David. I'm simply saying, he didn't make any alliance with his enemy. There was no bargains with Goliath. There were no bargains with the Philistines. There were no deals. There was no, let's compromise, let's find a happy medium and y'all can stay happy over there. We'll stay happy over there. We'll find a little... And, and in life, there's places for compromise, okay? In life, in this secular world. But in our walk with God, in the fight against sin, there's no place for compromise. So I'm telling you, one thing I can learn from David in, in this is that he wasn't making deals with his enemy. And you and I better not make any deals with sin in our life and say, well, I'll accept this little bit of sin. It's okay in my life when God calls it what He calls it. He's not okay with it, but I'm going to be okay with it? How does that work? It works because, it, because I say, say so. It doesn't really work, is my point at all. We make bargains and deals. Look back at Psalm 18.37. I have pursued my enemies and overtaken them, neither did I turn again until they were what? Consumed. What is he saying? There's enemies out there, 500 of them. I'm going to keep going, me and my armies, till we get them. Ah, 250 got away. Well, we'll get them next time. In that battle, it sounds like he said, I, took, I went after my enemies till I consumed them. Because if you and I... Let's say God puts His finger on something on your, in your life, even this morning or my life. And I, maybe I didn't realize it, and God by His goodness shows me, Randy, you got this sin in your life. Maybe I did know it before this morning. Either way, He shows me. And He expects me to go after it. Now, I need to go after it in His strength. I need to be aware of it. I need to not sweep it under the rug. I need to pursue after it and not make an agreement or allegiance with this sin in my life. I, once he shows me, I need to go after it until it's consumed, until it's put out of my life. And God, that's how seriously we're to take sin in our lives. We need to rid ourselves of it. I mean, cast it off all the way. It's gone. Wow. And then there'll be, another, there'll be another one he'll show me next week, next month, because he's making me more like Jesus and he's perfecting me. But honestly, when he puts his finger on some sin in my life, I need to take it that seriously and I say, oh, I'm going to sleep on it or I'll deal with this. A lot going on all these weddings. I'll deal with that after, after this is all over. No, He wants us to deal with it and not make a compromise with sin 
in our own lives. That sin is going to destroy us. He's not playing games. David, Goliath was not playing a game. He was serious. He said, I'm going to feed you to the dogs. I'm coming after you, David. And he was ticked off because it was just a little kid coming after him. He was their champion. Well, sin has its champion maybe in your life. And God wants you and I to go after it and you don't make a deal with it and cozy up to it and think, well, it's behaving itself a little better now. Put it out. By God's strength and His might, we put it out. And I'm gonna I'm gonna close with this. You know, it talks about I turn in verse 37. I turned again. I did not turn again till they were consumed. And then he says in verse 40, Thou hast also given me the necks of mine enemies, that I might destroy them that hate me. Sin hates you, and the devil hates you. And maybe you think I'm carrying this a little far, but I just I truly believe that we're too easy and lax with sin in our lives instead of taking it on head on in Christ's might. We started off by talking about the victory they won over sin. It's not a partial victory. It's a complete victory. And He's called us to walk in it. To not make uh, deals with it and so forth. He says He's given me the necks of my enemies. And I'm closing with this thought. It means um, it's it's almost a figure of speech. He's given me the necks of my enemies. It meant the complete conquest and the utmost a disgrace to the enemy. Complete conquest over them and complete disgrace to them. In other words, Goliath was humiliated to say the least. The shepherd boy kills him with a stone right here. He falls like a big redwood tree to the ground. David takes his own sword off of him because he didn't have one and cut his head off with his own sword and carried it back into town. He completely disgraced and vanquished his enemy. Okay, And I'm talking about not people and things like that. I'm talking about sin that's coming into our own lives. We're going to close with this Scripture. Same Psalm. Turn to the end of the chapter, 48 through 50. Indeed, you can come. Whoever's, whoever's doing the altar can come on. Uh, Psalm 18, 48 through 50. He delivereth me from mine enemies. Yea, thou liftest me up above those that rise up against me. Thou hast delivered me from the violent man. Therefore will I give thanks unto Thee, O Lord, among the heathen, and sing praises unto Thy name. Great deliverance giveth He to His King, and showeth mercy to His anointed, to David, and to His seed forevermore. And so, again, David's speaking primarily about physical battles and enemies and Philistines and giants and armies. In Saul's hand, he was delivered out of, and a bear and a lion. I think we can totally relate to that in the sense of that being sin and enemies that we have spiritually that come against our lives. And he says he delivers me. He gives me the strength. He lifts me up. I'm going to give him thanks. I'm going to give him thanks and praise him for that. And I just want to challenge you this morning. It's our altar call. Just challenge you to believe God. The victory that He gave and that He says He gave in His Word just like the blood of Jesus is sufficient, what He did on the cross, what He did when He rose again from the dead in power, and now I'm in Christ, what is that victory that He has over sin and has won for His people over sin? Who will believe God enough to strive to walk in that? Ask God to... to, This is not to, to condemn you because of the sin in your life or the sin in my life. 
This ought to cause us to stir us up, to give us great hope, to give us great zeal against our enemy. If we wake up, we're in a fight, we're in a battle. Sin's not playing a game. Goliath wasn't playing a game. And sin wants to take you even as a believer and wreck your testimony, or wreck your marriage, or wreck your home, or wreck uh, your joy, or your peace, and steal it from you, even though you're saved. And so we need to be serious against it and walk in that victory. Amen? Walk worthy of the calling wherewith we're called. So Father, we just come before You. And Lord, I thank You from reading Psalm 18. I turn to and I read how You gave David the necks of his enemies. He didn't turn back until they were consumed. But he said, It's the Lord that girdeth me with strength. It's the Lord that enlarges my feet under me that I don't slip. It's the Lord I'm going to thank. It's the Lord that delivers me from all my enemies. It's the Lord that delivers me from them that hate me and that rise up against me. And Lord, You want a victory on Calvary over, over sin. You came to save sinful men. Not only to forgive us of our sin, but to deliver us from the power of sin over our lives. And to show us as an example to a lost world that's still in their sin what Christ can do in the life of a sinful man that trusts in Him. What Jesus Christ can do through this new birth. And through His blood and by the indwelling of the Holy Ghost in our lives. Your day-to-day help and Your day-to-day grace and Your day-to-day strength to help us. God, that we would be a godly people and a holy people set apart unto You. Not in our doctrine only and in our theory and our theology to have it laid out all correctly about salvation and sanctification. But we would be a holy people tomorrow at work and in our homes and with our children, with our spouses, with at LSU, at Southeastern, wherever we are, God. We'd be a holy, godly people. We don't brag and say, look how godly I am. We say, God, thank You that you made my feet like Hans' feet and kept me from slipping today. You kept me from falling because, man, I would have fallen, Lord, if it hadn't been for your goodness. The battle belongs to the Lord. To the Lord. And Lord, you will deliver us from the hand of our enemies like you delivered David from Goliath. We love you and we thank you, Lord God, in Jesus' name.